Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the latest jobs report and where we are in the Fed's target for unemployment. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah, on Jobs Friday, one of my favorite days of the month. I know, Jobs Friday. Okay, give us the headline on Jobs Friday. Well, another 260,000 plus jobs created. The unemployment rate ticked up uh, from 3.5% to 3.7%. Now, this happened already once this year. And one thing I've noticed in the data is that uh, when we see a, a, a noticeable percentage increase in uh, people who never finished high school, uh, the unemployment rate has risen. Now, in uh, a few months ago when that happened, the labor force grew. So whenever the labor force grows, you can actually have a, a higher unemployment rate, even if you create jobs here. The unemployment rate went up. We didn't have the same kind of labor force data on this. So this is something to, to keep an eye on. Um, since all six of my recession red flags are up, uh, we want to keep an eye on jobless claims data more than anything else. But job openings data went up again this month. Um, so uh, the job market is still staying solid. And, you know, uh, Chairman Powell talked about this, which was really interesting because the the fortune writer actually tweeted out, boy, Chairman Powell sounds exactly like Logan Murashami. <laughs> and he really is talking about the labor markets, the labor market dynamics, the consumer balance sheets. This has been a big talking point in my work for many years, but also in the COVID-19 recovery that Job opening should get to 10 million. Uh, consumer balance sheets have never looked better as because majority of consumer debt is homeowners. Homeowners debt have never looked better in terms of their financial profiles. So the Fed is using that as a cover right now to be really aggressive with, with rate hikes. Now, I still believe we're coming toward the end of the Fed rate hike cycle, whether they stop at 4.5% or 5% on the Fed funds rate. Um, it, it all matters about, you know, how does the economy hold up? Uh, uh, does the growth rate of inflation fall? They're working off of that. They know that rate hikes have a lagging effect on the economy. Um, again, for me, it's jobless claims breaking over 323,000 on the four-week moving average. The Fed most likely will pivot then, but we're not there, right? Jobless claims went down again this week. So the labor market is fine. The housing market is in a recession. Uh, consumer balance sheets still look good, but again, over time, these rate hikes do have their effect, and especially when a sector as big as housing is in a recession, you see job losses, you'll see credit stress. The housing market went into recession in June of this year, so we, we haven't even had 12 months of the recession kind of flowing through the economy yet. So again, it's, it, it's setting up for a very interesting 2023 uh, uh, with a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of variables to work here with inflation and jobs and incomes and, and, and supply chain levels. So I uh, try to put them all in together now. So you, you know, job, the jobs numbers have been huge. You've talked about, you know, what we need to see there. Were you surprised though? Were you surprised that it's still so strong? Well, here's the thing. When we wrote about the COVID-19 recovery, and we said September of 2022. We'll get all the jobs back. It will be September of 22. That's just getting all the jobs that we lost through COVID. So if the economy is growing, right, there's also a lagging 
jobs that would have been created if uh, COVID never occurred. So we're all we're in a phase where we're playing catch up, right? Uh, to where we should have been, let's say COVID-19 never happened, we'd still be in the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. So no, as long as jobless claims are low, this level, as long as job openings are, you know, we, we've got a pathway because uh, there's the, the missing gap of labor needed, especially when, you know, uh, retail sales is still moving along. Now, of course, housing is in a recession. So that labor force or that, that labor pool Jobs are being lost in the real estate industry, in the mortgage industry, the construction labor, right? The big ticket items, the, the big thing for GDP, the, they're holding on to their labor as much as they can until those homes are built out. Now, job construction was very minor growth uh, this year or this last report. So that's the sector that's going to start losing jobs. Once those homes get built, the builders will do what they can to protect their balance sheets and they just won't need that many uh, construction workers because they're already stopping building for single family homes until they sell those off. So that that is a weird kind of uh, situation that happened because of the supply chains and COVID. And also mortgage rates really just shot up in one year fast. So uh, they are going to take their time in building what they have left. But, you know, as we talked about after the new home sales report, there's only 56,000 new homes available for sale. And there's 406,000 homes that are either in construction or haven't started construction yet. So uh, uh, once those get done, there's no more building for single family homes and everybody waits to see uh, when rates fall because they, the builders, as I've always talked about for many, many years, has been a big part of my work. They do not build for the existing home sales market. They only build products for them to sell to make money. The existing home sales market is their competitor. And if inventory grows in that area, they're going to have more cheaper competition. So uh, don't look for the builders to be rampant building when demand is down. Okay, you and I have talked about this before. And I've, I, I keep asking, what about the tech layoffs? I'm just going to say this week has been pretty incredible. So since the first, there have been 23 tech, tech companies that have done layoffs. And just in the last two days, we've seen some pretty big ones, including Twitter. At what point does that start to make a difference? 23 layoffs. So we've had tech, we, we've had in theory tech layoffs now for weeks and jobless claims data is still below 300,000. So, um, I, you know, I, I had a, I had a very interesting question today on Twitter where you know, uh, at what point do all the housing jobs actually impact the jobless claims data? And one of the things I, I've, I've told people is, remember, housing broke in 2006, right? Uh, 2006 is when sales were going down and demand was falling and uh, construction was over, right? And the job loss recession didn't happen until 2008. So we had a more over leveraged, hotter housing cycle back then because demand was much higher. Construction was more higher. Uh, housing completions were much higher, so we had an 82% correction in home price or in home sales, new home sales from the peak of 2005 down. So, it, 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 we didn't get to 2008 until the job loss recession actually happened. So, uh, it, it can it could take some time. Tech generally doesn't really employ a lot of people, at least in new tech. Like you know, people talk about Twitter laying off. Twitter Twitter laid off is I don't know if they can do this legally yet, but. 3,007 people. Millions of people get hired and fired each month. 
right? So it's just the distribution. That's why the jobless claims data is the really big one. So we'll see, you know, uh, if the, I mean, I've been watching tech layoffs or people posting layoffs and it's literally done nothing to the jobless claims data because there's openings out there and there's people being hired. So we'll see out that we'll see how that works. Just remember, there's over 155 million people working too. So uh, in context to the to the entire workforce, wh- where is it at? I do appreciate that context. I think, you know, it depends on what your bubble is or what your social bubble is. My social bubble is Twitter. Uh, a lot of it that I follow for uh, different accounts. And so, you know, it feels pretty overwhelming this week. And then just looking at the tech layoffs. But to your point, I mean, it's such a huge here's market. Here's a really good example. In 2015, we had a manufacturing recession in America. Uh, oil prices crashed. The dollar got strong. Manufacturing went into a recession. Now, historically, going back to post-World War II, when manufacturing goes into a recession and jobs are being laid off, uh, the U.S. is in a recession. The manufacturing recession didn't really budge the jobless claims data or the jobs data at all much. So you could have a sector of the economy being in a recession. And this is why I, I, I I call it the PMI manufacturing recession of 2015 and the housing recession now of 2022, and still have jobs being created. So that's still the case. It's when the service sector industry starts laying off people that you see more and more because they're going to start to protect their uh, balance sheets. And that, that'll that occur. And, and historically, the, the, the six recession red flag model was created as a, just a progression model to give people kind of an idea of how economic cycles work. They're, they're not designed to like happen when the recession is in. That means it was it, it, was, it didn't work right. So uh, that was raised on August 5th. So you right now have to just follow jobless claims data, really. Jobless claims over jolts. When claims start to break, it's over, right? And this has always happened in every economic expansion to every recession. Claims is the last data line to break. Uh, so you have to create a progression model to get to that stage. And we're here now. So we'll see what happens over the next six months. But I always tell people the Federal Reserve actually is forecasted a recession next year. So when Chairman Powell says nobody knows what a recession is happening, really? Your own forecasts have talked about it, right? So this is where this is where I I, I, I cringe when I listen to Fed statements. Your forecast has created a 4.4% unemployment rate, which at three and a half percent, that's almost a one percent move. Everything else is getting weaker. That would be a job loss recession. Right. So your own model is forecasting a recession. So when you say, I don't know when a recession is, then you need to change your model. Right. Uh, because that is a recession. And that's why I focus people on that. The Fed's own model is saying we're going to have a job loss recession next year. So they tell you they want pain. They tell you they want higher unemployment. So you got to believe them. And uh, uh, we'll see how this goes. It gets so much more interesting in 2023 now with all the rate hikes in play. Um, and if you actually take shelter inflation out of the equation, uh, uh, all the other core data lines are, are, are cooling down on the CPI level. So a lot of things are going to be in play. You just kind of have to know where to look. Uh, but again, claims over jolts, job openings are 10.7 million. A good example is we didn't have to deal with inflation from 2000 to uh, 2019. Job openings got a little bit above 7 million. Uh, before COVID hit us, and we didn't have wage inflation takeoff or anything in that matter. Uh, so the the Federal Reserve looks at that. Whether you agree with the job openings data or not, there's a lot of people who don't agree with the job openings data, but the Federal Reserve looks, hey, that was the level when things were okay. 
Uh, boy, we're 3.7 million job openings away from that becoming, even though that was historically high at that time, that, that's a better marketplace. Uh, and then again, another question about that. Why does the Fed want people to lose their jobs? Well, more labor uh, means that the, uh, uh, the employers don't have to bid up for your service, right? So when people say the Fed is like uh, uh, anti-wage growth, yeah, they're right. And they've always shown it. They do not want wages to grow high. They, they don't want, they want to control your wage growth and they're, they're really back in there again uh, doing that. So that's the reason they uh, talk about, you know, higher unemployment it helps them fight inflation better now. So, you know, the Fed has targeted a certain percentage for this job loss recession. That's what shows them, okay, we've achieved that. What was the last job loss recession? What was the percentage of unemployment? Like, why why did they come up with this level of unemployment being the ideal one? Well, here, here's the thing. We, we had the great financial crisis, okay, that unemployment rates went up to 10, 10% a year. Of course, COVID, the unemployment rates just skyrocketed because that, 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 that there's nothing correct about economic modeling that that cycle. The Federal Reserve believes kind of the natural unemployment rate is kind of four and a half to five percent, right? So that's that's where they believe things should be. So there was a whole argument. There was there's all these fighting against the Federal Reserve because they say the Fed doesn't know what the natural unemployment rate is because we got unemployment rates below four percent and we really didn't have any wage inflation pre-COVID. So this is the fight now about the Federal Reserve went back to their old models and go, we need higher unemployment because that is normal. That's that's how it is. 95% of the country is working. We're always going to have 5% unemployment. You know? So that's they're going off of that. And they believe, again, a way to fight inflation is to make you earn less because when you earn less, the, the employers don't have to pass it on into uh, uh, um, the prices of the goods that they're, serve, they're selling. So that's their tactic right now. So they're they're not a, they're no longer a dual mandate Federal Reserve uh, at this point about jobs and inflation. They are a single mandate Federal Reserve, and they have been very clear. This is what needs to happen. Now, of course, when jobless claims break, a lot of those things change. Um, but uh, we're getting closer to the end. You're still you're, you, you, the things that they're talking about now: fifty hikes, you know, maybe twenty five or so. We're getting toward the end of the rate hike cycle. Uh, and then, like uh, Chairman Powell said, that if things break, hey, listen, we have the tools to cut rates again, right? So kind of all that talk about we'll never cut rates during a recession because if inflation is that what? Listen, these people are folders, right? You know, you, you know the people who bark like a junkyard dog and will bite you. And then you know the people that will just let you pet. They, these people are all let us pet their belly. But again, the labor market has to get really weak because the consumer balance sheet is good. What happens, one of the questions that I've, or one of the things that I've heard from different people is like, they feel like the, the Fed has overshot this, right? That they that these rates are, and we could say, well, it hasn't overshot because, um, you know, they don't have what they want yet. But how do we know and, and what happens if they're really too aggressive right now? Well, when they're too aggressive, what will traditionally happen is that the economy will not be growing below trend growth like they want. That's what they already got what they want with trend growth. Um, the unemployment rate starts to uh, skyrocket more than their uh, natural unemployment rate, right? So you kind of once they're above five percent, four and a half or five percent, then then uh, it, it became too much. The soft landing premise 
And this is why the Chairman Powell said that it, the time is it's getting less and less to have a soft landing. The longer rates stay higher, the more impact it eventually happens because Fed rate hikes have a lagging impact. The banks love it because they get to charge more interest on your credit cards and home equity lines. So the banks are earning more money, but everyone else, the consumer gets hit on that side. So uh, again, this is why I've always tried to stress people in 2005 and six, we saw noticeable credit stress. I mean, it's not, it's not even a very difficult data line to read. It was really obvious that we were seeing credit stress in the system and it's really obvious that it's not occurring now. Uh, so the Federal Reserve feels more confident in the rate hikes as long as the labor market is good. And, and again, that's what Chairman Powell said, literally stealing my line verbally, like, you know, oh, the consumer balance sheets are dead and the labor market's strong, you know. And uh, again, job openings, demographic searches. This has been a big part of my work for years. Those who followed me in the last expansion. When I talked about job openings, we're going to get to 6.21 million. Everyone's, you're crazy. There's 96 million people not working. No, you're crazy. There's not 96 million people on the point, <laughs> you know. So that's the thing about me is that I, I understand the, the root of anti-Americanism, extreme right-wing, left-wing stuff. There's an article I wrote, Congratulations, America, You Destroyed the American Bears. I wrote it for my blog in 2019. I have listed every nonsense, garbage, extreme right-wing or left-wing stuff said by the United States of America during the longest economic and job expansion. And most of it comes from Twitter or YouTube or all these people. This is one of the reasons why I want to challenge people to a live debate. When you forecast every single year with your name and face and you have economic models, you know you can tear people up piece by piece live. And once you get them on a live debate, name and face and everything, oh, goodness gracious, they cannot go hide in their uh, black hole ever again. So this is why having economic models work and you try to deal with every economic cycle. There's variables that are crazy. Guess what? COVID was the mother of crazy variables. But we wrote America's Back Recovery Model on April 7th, 2020. You have to find ways, even in the strangest situations. Um, and as long as you stay within your models and numbers, uh, things should kind of trend alike. But you have to deal with exogenistic shocks and things that turn. The Federal Reserve went crazy pivot in March, right? That was a big game changer. Nobody believed that the Fed would actually be that aggressive. Russian invasion. Nobody thought that would you know, be their hope. So you have to deal with the changes within a, within a cycle. But the core foundation of what Economics is demographics and productivity. And I, I, I always like to remind people our productivity is terrible, right? Our productivity is so bad, and the Fed doesn't like to see that because that's inflationary. That means you have to pay more for labor because they're producing less. Some of this data line could be that we have a lot of people quitting their jobs and going to new jobs, and it takes them longer to be more productive. But the labor productivity data is just awful. Uh, and again, for everyone who kept on saying robots are taking all of our jobs, never happened after 100 years, right? We've got news clip articles going back to the 1800s who said, oh, technology is taking all the jobs. And here we are today, 10.7 million job openings with the baby boomers leaving the workforce, and eventually dying off because no country has a Dorian Gray labor market. Which leads me to my next question, which is about immigration. You and I have talked about the fact that, you know, along with robots, you know, immigration has been blamed for taking a lot of jobs. What does it look like? So, you know, right now we have all those job openings. Would be great if we had uh, more immigration to fill those jobs. What happens when the jobless, you know, when unemployment goes up? 
um, how do you how do you sort of regulate immigration so that it it keeps in line with what you want? Sarah, the baby boomers are dying. They're going to die. <laughs> they're going to leave the workforce and they're going to die. Right. So uh, there's parts of the United States of America that simply do not have a lot of younger people to replace their workforce. So there are parts of the U.S. that have a lot of younger people. Right. So if you want to somehow micromanage the you know, moving of people around to fit everything. Yeah. But uh, the difference with America is, and this is, or other countries, uh, we have a very young, we have a massive young workforce. So I call them replacement workers, but also they're replacing consumers, right? So why does the U.S. grow better than other mature economies? Of course, other countries are growing faster just because they're younger and they're still in the development phase, but we have people to consume goods and services. So uh, the immigration boom that we've had from 1820 and on uh, simply can't replicate replicate itself um, in terms of because we're just a bigger country with more people. So the percentages will, will never be the same. Uh, but again, if if you cannot find labor like in Wichita, Kansas, right, you've got a lot of old people running around Wichita, Kansas. Right? We, we really and, do. And, yeah. And if those people leave the workforce they got to get replaced. And that's why I've always talked about replacement workers have to be used with replacement consumers, right? Demographics is economics, right? Economics is demographics and productivity. So if we're not being more productive, then we need more manual labor. So, um, I, you know, some of the immigration data has come back, which is a positive, but, you know, the process takes forever, you know, so some of it doesn't. Some of them, we get new people coming to this country as we speak right now. But, um, you know, the, the this has been such a talking point of mine for, God, seven years now. And this is why the jolts 10 million was happening. This is why we wrote that piece. Specifically, you think people live and work forever. You are crazy. That's why the whole Dorian Gray reference was there, right? So when people like told me, oh, no. You're crazy. We're never going to get the 10 million job openings. Boy, that happened in like seven months, right? What are we doing here where people are, oh, we, we, need, we need replacing labor from the workforce that's leaving, right? So you work with that equilibrium. Uh, but again, we, we have a very big advantage over a lot of countries because the millennials are big and Gen Z are big. Other countries don't have them. It's, uh, for reference, uh, millennials and Gen Z put together are bigger than the total population of Japan, right? So Japan is one of the bigger economies we have in the world, nowhere close to the United States of America. That's our American muscle. I always say we got King Dollar, we got the biggest military in the world, we got friendly neighbors, we have two oceans, we have a young demographic workforce. We are Americans. We have a lot of soft people on Twitter who cry a lot, but no, we are not a soft country. We were never a soft country. For what we've done as a nation from 1790 and on, I love your enthusiasm. It's it is catching. I did want to make a note for our listeners. When Logan uh, says we wrote this, let me just clarify that Logan writes his pieces. I edit them. He's just such a team player. He never says I wrote. I wrote. He always says we. But let me just put that out there. There is one author of Logan's uh, articles, and that is Logan. And it's always a team that makes the winning team happen. That one person. See, I appreciate you're, that. Yeah, Sarah Wheeler, you're talking to an old high school basketball coach here. There I, is no I here. There is only a team. Okay? <laughs> so five people on the team, team defense, team offense, everybody works together. It's the only way you win. 
I appreciate that. As soon as you do the I, it goes away. (laughs) I really do. I appreciate it. I just, I wanted to not have any confusion that, um, you know, there's another person besides you writing these. And everyone should just discredit what Sarah Wheeler just said. It's a team (laughs) effort. Okay. So. uh, Well, we'll agree to fight about this later, Logan. We'll just have to fight about this later. Um, But okay. So tell me about this. We're hearing about a baby boom. Uh, during the post-COVID period in the last, say, year or so. So what what are your thoughts about this baby move? Are we going to have another millennial generation coming through? I know Gen Z is big. Like, demographically, what are we looking at? So, again, a huge talking point of mine, right? So where do we go? We go all the way back to seven years ago. Americans rent, they date, they mate, then they get married, and then three and a half years after marriage, they have kids. So if you just plug in the numbers with census, right, years 2020 to 2024, you should have a little bit of a boost. Now, uh, birth rates have been falling for for some years. So we're working off of a low base, but the pregnancy data was actually showing this early on. Uh, COVID has really messed up a lot of things. So we don't have a fluid system during that period of time. But uh, yeah, I mean, kids are Nothing changes, right? People are usually the same. They, we just have, we just get married later in life, and we have kids later in life. You just plug in the numbers, and, and there it is. So this positive data line about us having kids. And by the way, when people tell me we don't need immigration uh, because we just need more babies, dude, your baby at one years old is not working a construction job. I hate to tell you, <laughs> we have laws against child labor. And having a baby right now does not mean they're going to work at Walmart uh, the next day, right? You got to be traditionally 18 years and older, okay? So no, that's not going to help you. But it, it is it is encouraging to see that, you know, uh, everything kind of somewhat, considering how crazy the global pandemic was, that uh, people just do their thing. Normal people do their things, right? So we just do things a little bit later in life. And uh, uh, that's 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 how it works. Right. So uh, there shouldn't be a surprise. But again, birth rates, you know, uh, have been falling for some time. Again, when you adjust it to population, it looks low just because the laws of math work out there. You can't have the kind of the we don't have the five or six kid families anymore or, you know, a a wealthier country over time has actually less children. So that, that, you know, us having two kids per family, pretty normal now. So. Uh, and we just have a lot of people, three, uh, 30 to 39. Yes, I, I grew up in a family of six kids. And uh, even then, it was a little bit unusual. So definitely can back you up there. Let's talk about, uh, so demographics have been so important. You know, you talked about, hey, I've been talking about this for seven years and even longer than that. The NAR just put out um, their uh, annual survey and said that the, for first-time homebuyers, okay, for first-time homebuyers, the average age is now that the is now 36 and that's up from 33 a year ago. I would think that affordability is probably the biggest factor there, but you know, does that surprise you at all? Well, again, when a trend of a higher age group to buy uh, is is constant, that number should actually grow more, right? Uh, so uh, again, people just do things a little bit later in life and. Uh, millennials were the biggest home buyers in America for years now, so that's that's nothing abnormal. But you know, a, a global pandemic can also really mess up data lines. This is why I'm always a little bit suspect of anything uh, shifting very fast. Like the home ownership rate, like skyrocketed 
during global during the global that that's not that's not real. It's a very slow moving data line. And I was like, okay, this is going to come back down to trend. If you actually look at the uh, uh, home ownership rate, we're literally zero point two one percent away from my forecast of us getting to sixty six point two one percent after years twenty twenty two. That trend line looks the same if you just take away the COVID nineteen birth. So uh, us getting older, of course, is the is the case. But I would say this. Uh, a lot of people that were able to buy homes were also older people that had a home originally, sold it, had a lot of equity, and went out there and outbidded a lot of people. So I would imagine that had to play into that concept because the move up buyer or the move down buyer in that sense has a really big advantage over a first time home buyer. And then now, of course, the first time home buyer is it's more expensive now. But if you look at the first time home buyer percentage, right, you know, a, a, as a monthly uh, report, it's literally trended the same way for like 10 years. There's no really big deviation uh, uh, from that. But uh, definitely affordability hit, definitely a, a growing trend and uh, an age that's been rising, rising for many years. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, I, I'm not surprised at all with that data line. We'll see if that comes back a year. Uh, uh, or two, maybe uh, in the future, but uh, that looks about right considering all the dynamics that we've had to deal with, uh, um, especially the, all those people that migrated, right? Moved, right? Uh, they're not first time home buyers, they're owners that moved. Uh, so uh, they have definitely an advantage because so much selling equity, right? Uh, uh, they, they, they were very cash rich and they can outbid anyone, especially a first time home buyer. As we would say, uh, when I lived in Texas, like uh, the California money coming into Texas, just, you know, it, and Texas was already, you know, I lived in DFW, so it was a pretty well-to-do suburb and well-to-do area. I can't imagine, you know, coming into those top, you know, tier two, tier three cities with that kind of money. Listen, I, I, I every time I come to Texas, I go, God, it's cheap here. <laughs> you know, it's right. just, you know, um, I, when I went to Frisco, I was like, this, is this real? You can buy like a four bed. I think on our housing wire uh, event, I was like, you can buy a four bedroom home for two hundred eighty five thousand. I mean, and just to give you an example, a one bedroom condo in my neighborhood's going for seven hundred twenty five thousand. So uh, that is crazy. See, we think you're that's, crazy. That that's what's, yeah, that's coastal coastal California money is just a whole different planet. People just have to like exclude coastal California off off of any grid. It's true. Okay, so this is going to air on Monday. We always uh, do this on Friday, but it airs on Monday. So what are you looking for this week? What are some other reports that you're going to be watching? Well, when, we, when we're when we at this stage of the economic expansion, really uh, uh, jobless claims that come out every Thursday, uh, um, you know, the inflationary data, of course, is is comes out. There's two different reports a month. So you keep an eye on that. But really retail sales, now becomes a little bit more um, important. Now, I could tell you this, reading the jobs report, the uh, seasonal hiring from retail sales or retailers was a lot less this year, right? So the retailers are already telling you they don't think it's going to be a good Christmas uh, because they they have not hired as many people uh, as the last two years. So that's something, that's a tidbit from today's jobs report uh, going out, so the retail sales data that comes out, uh, the uh, of course the inflationary data, um, housing data is usually the second half of the month, and the jobless claims data every Thursday, right? And to see that and 
you know, the dollar made another rally recently. So if the dollar gets too strong, more problems. So there's, there's a lot of things to watch each day, each week. But uh, at this point of the cycle, it's a little bit different for me because since all my six recession red flags are up. Logan, thank you as always for joining us, giving us insights, especially on Jobs Friday, but uh, several times a week when you join us. And I know that you have a new article on the same uh, on Jobs too, so people can look for that. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.